What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, did everyone have a good and safe Thanksgiving? We hope so. Now it's time to turn our focus to the holiday season. And there's a lot going on. Settle in and enjoy those turkey leftovers while you're listening to this week's episode of The Eagle. We'll go over some top headlines in the paper and online. The capital region writ large is facing the worst COVID spike uh, it has faced yet in the pandemic. We'll hear about an alarming rise in Alzheimer's disease and dementia deaths among New Yorkers. I think that that's kind of a, a sad example of the ripple effects of this pandemic. And we'll go inside a very special mobile recording studio in Albany. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Let's start with a look at what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. Well, we are here once again this Thanksgiving week with our intrepid Times Union editor, Casey Seiler. Albany is approaching the yellow zone. What's our COVID outlook this week? It doesn't seem like it's too bright. No, it's not good. There's no question that while the numbers will go up and down, the number of new numbers of new cases will go up and down every day. The capital region writ large is facing the worst COVID spike uh, it has faced yet in the pandemic. This makes what we went through in March and April seem relatively tame. Now, happily, the numbers of fatalities have not yet spiked up, but of course, that's a lagging indicator. But there are cases that are breaking out in numbers we we just haven't seen before. We should all remember that back in the springtime, New York City was absolutely hammered, and that accounted for the vast majority of the numbers of fatalities. Now um, you have regions like Western New York and the Capital Region and others that are experiencing the the worst of the pandemic. Uh, Of course, as numbers continue to go up uh, across the country and in places that were largely untouched back in the spring. But a yellow zone designation for Albany, Albany County, would mean that um, school districts uh, would have to test 20% of on-site students and staff. That could happen as soon as um, next week if the positivity numbers uh, you know, stay as troubling as they are now. None of this seems to bode well for the holiday when, you know, people would normally be gathering with families, having, you know, events that could be termed super spreaders these days, although we would never have thought of that before now. But the governor and local officials have been warning people, you know, do Thanksgiving by yourself. And people are not loving that. So do you think we'll expect it to get even worse in two weeks? 
Well, the governor has predicted that that could happen. Um, we have, of course, run stories and seen stories in other outlets about the millions of people who are kind of setting aside, probably with various levels of care, the warnings about traveling and, and being with relatives over the holiday. It's being fought kind of family by family, I think it's, it's safe to say. The governor himself earlier this week had to deal with um, this problem. The governor's mother, uh, Matilda Cuomo, is in her late 80s. The governor initially said on Monday in a radio interview that he was going to be spending Thanksgiving with his mother and his two daughters. Needless to say, that prompted uh, cries that the governor was, you know, telling the public one thing and modeling something else in the sense that he has for weeks and months now been saying, steer clear of your elderly relatives. They are at particular danger from the virus. Within just a couple of hours, his spokesman came out and said, well, this, you know, these plans could always change. The governor is going to be working for the Thanksgiving holiday, but it has been a topic clearly of, of rather fraught discussion between the generations. I'm sure that you know, there's nothing more than my mother or my father or anybody else in my family would like than to be with family, but this is just not the year for it, alas. Now, some folks have taken such issue with Cuomo's kind of pandemic orders that they're suing him, right? Yeah, Rob Gavin wrote a story looking sort of at the small galaxy of lawsuits that have been aimed against the Cuomo administration, particularly some of the lockdown and quarantine rules that the governor has, has put in place, largely through executive order, although that executive order power has been granted to him by the legislature. That includes a lawsuit that was filed by a woman from Arizona who was ticked off that she came to New York only to find that she had to quarantine for 14 days. And, uh, you know, folks who have opposed the limits on weddings, on large public gatherings, you name it. The vast majority of these suits have been dismissed or turned aside, at least in the in the short term. And the governor's spokesman, Rich Azapardi, who is uh, always fast with a quip, told Rob Gavin, we've been sued virtually every day for virtually every action taken during the pandemic. And the vast majority of them have been laughed out of court. So it doesn't seem like uh, at least legal challenges will back the governor off of, of the vast majority of the, the, the edicts he has put in place. Now, while we're on the topic of the governor, I cannot resist. I've been waiting to say this all week, but Jeepers Creepers, where did you get those Cuomo peepers? Tell me what that's about. So this is a company out in Buffalo that has made, I believe it's an adhesive sticker that you can put on your window that is basically the upper half of the governor's face and head looking as if uh, it's peering in your window. And uh, uh, it's uh, definitely going to be a popular stocking stuffer among members of the Legislative Correspondents Association. I, I feel quite confident. Just the tweets alone in reaction to that were... were really fun to read. It's good to see the American enterprise system at work like this. Uh, somebody saw a product and they put it into the field quickly. For sure. All right. Now, every year, the Times Union has a special section called Capital Region Gives. I will let you tell us all what that is about and what that has been like this year. 
Yeah, Capital Region Gives is our annual effort that that comes out right about this time of year, knowing that it is the time when lots of people are not only thinking about families and the, the things that they have that others might not have, but also are thinking about the nonprofits that help those who need it in the Capital Region. The Gives uh, section, which just came out last week, but of course all that good content is available online, was put together by Gary Hahn with contributions really from across the newsroom, um, offering profiles of the good work that charitable nonprofits, big and small, are doing with individual communities and the region as a whole. It's really, you know, it's important every year, but this year, considering how, number one, the public is up against it economically in so many cases, tragically, but also nonprofits are feeling that pinch as well. When people feel economic pressure, they are far less likely to be generous, unfortunately, which of course creates kind of a double whammy for the people who receive services from these organizations. So I really encourage people to check out not only, of course, the stories that we've put in there, but to do some investigation about where their donation, be it small or large, can make a difference to to nonprofits all across the capital region and all across upstate. Now, we're going to hear more about one of the stories in this special section later on this podcast, so stay tuned. And the rest of them that you can go to timesunion.com and check them out there. Casey, thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope you have a wonderful holiday weekend. Thanks, Jess. You too. Deaths in New York State due to Alzheimer's disease and dementia are surging. We're talking upwards of 21% higher than usual. What's to blame? Advocates say it's the coronavirus pandemic. Times Union Health reporter Bethany Bump took an in-depth look at this alarming trend, and I caught up with her to learn more. You had seen a rather alarming trend in the rise in deaths from Alzheimer's and dementia that kind of went along with the COVID spiking. Can you talk a little bit about that and that story? Yeah. So I actually hadn't seen this. This was the Alzheimer's Association that had been looking at this category of deaths that the CDC is tracking this year. So the CDC is looking at excess deaths, which is any deaths across disease categories that are higher than usual, because they want to see like, how is the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the societal sort of changes that it has brought? How has that affected normal patterns of mortality that we might see in the US? So the Alzheimer's Association had been hearing some disturbing reports from like, you know, families that their loved ones didn't seem to be doing so well during the pandemic. And so they started to look into this CDC data on excess deaths. And what they found was not great. So they found that deaths due to Alzheimer's and dementia during the first nine months of 2020 were about 16.6% higher than usual nationwide and 21.4% higher than usual in New York. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I had asked because as a health reporter, I've kind of heard for a while now, you know, we have this aging baby boomer population, They, they call it the silver tsunami. So there, there have been all these predictions that, you know, that there would have been increases in Alzheimer's and dementia deaths anyway, because there is this aging population. So I wanted to know, like, is it possible that this increase could could be related to that? And when I spoke with um, the local Alzheimer's Association chapter head, she had 
basically explain that, like, okay, maybe you would have seen a 2 or 5% increase when it came to Alzheimer's and dementia deaths because of this aging population trend. But these are increases in the double digits. So it was just it was just way too large to sort of be written off as a natural occurrence. That's staggering. Now, yeah. what what could the relationship be between that and and the pandemic? I mean, what are some of the theories that you cited in your article? Yeah, so the association definitely wants more um, data and research before they're you know before they're going to sort of state any sort of definitive cause. But they've definitely theorized as to what might be behind these unusual increases. So the first is um, we have seen a documented drop in primary and preventative and even emergency care throughout the pandemic. So I'm sure you've heard that doctors and hospitals say that, you know, they've, they've seen that drop. People are not going to get checked out for minor symptoms that could theoretically progress into major symptoms. And also people have canceled a lot of like routine appointments, you know, routine checkups. And the reason that that's sort of risky for people with Alzheimer's and dementia is that that category tends to have comorbidities. So that's just like a fancy medical word for multiple health conditions. So, you know, people with Alzheimer's and dementias usually have like diabetes or heart disease, other conditions that require regular checkups. And so there is this kind of concern that maybe that's what's behind this rapid increase in deaths is that just that lack of sort of routine regular care may have exacerbated some of these other conditions. Another theory is the disruption to a, you know a person's structure and routine. Structure and routine are very important to people with Alzheimer's and dementia, especially socializing and having conversations with other people and doing things that are mentally stimulating have been shown to stave off decline due to dementia and Alzheimer's. And so when we saw, you know, nursing homes, assisted living facilities, senior homes close their doors to visitors, and we saw a lot of, like, there there are day programs for people with these diseases to go to and, and engage in activities with people who are, you know, expert in them and can help them. A lot of those things were disrupted or, or closed off entirely. And so that disruption to routine is one possible theory of why we might be seeing this accelerated decline. And then the only other thing um, that I have heard was theorized is that some of these deaths just might be misclassified. So back in the spring, late winter of 2020, there are theories that like the virus was here before we knew it. And so there are some who believe that it's possible that people who were dying of coronavirus might have just been misclassified as, you know, deaths due to Alzheimer's or dementia, if they had that as an underlying condition, if, you know, if this was before we really knew the virus was here. Also in like March and April, we really didn't have any sort of widespread testing. So again, there's belief that it's possible that in March and April, people who were dying due to coronavirus might've been written off as Alzheimer's and dementia deaths. So that's another possible explanation. Wow, none of those theories are in any way, shape, or form comforting. Nope. <laughs> I think that that's kind of a, a sad example of the ripple effects of this pandemic. And I think it's a good thing that CDC and other groups are trying to, you know, track those impacts because I think it, you know, I think we're going to hear many more stories like that as time goes on. 
After the break, we'll step into a very unique recording studio. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. Making music can be a powerful creative outlet. It can help express joy, grief, pain, and everything in between. Now, teens and youth in Albany can express themselves through music with a chance to record their own tracks thanks to a mobile recording studio that travels around town. Times Union reporter Masara Makati recently spent some time in the studio with its operator, David Gordon. I talked to her about the experience. Tell me about this van. Just tell me about the structure of it and what's inside it, what it looks like. Yeah, so um, David bought this van over the summer, um, going into the summer, and it was just this old RV, and he ended up putting thousands of dollars into it to convert it into a mobile recording studio. still like a little kitchenette and there's a full bathroom with a shower but he converted one room and the rv to a recording studio so it's soundproof and it has the microphone and then out in the main living area he has you know a nice leather couch and then he has this huge mac and a keyboard in front of it and then a beat mixer next to it and the beat mixer is like this pad with a bunch of squares on it and so you tap the buttons and it'll give you a different beat and huge speakers and subwoofers. So he turned it into this mobile recording studio that he just drives around and parks in different places and tries to attract more of Albany's youth to come and make music. Barbershop, we were at the mall um, last Thursday. Had a lot of attraction at the Crossgates. Um, oh, nice. We did uh, Clifton Park. We was near um, Hoffman Car Wash on Route 9. A lot of people stopped. A lot of people stopped. Now tell me about David himself. Um, who is he and what inspired him to do this? David is um, the lyricism program manager at the Boys and Girls Club of the Capital Area. And he was really inspired to do this once COVID hit because there were a lot of kids who couldn't make it to the actual building. They have the lyricism program and they're building on Delaware Avenue. And they have a recording studio there and everything and plenty of instruments. But during the pandemic, there weren't as many kids who can make it out there to record and to create music. And so he wanted to be more accessible to the kids that normally came to the program but couldn't come anymore. And also to kids that maybe never made it to the program in the first place because of accessibility. And for him, you know, he's a musician himself. And for David, he's just really seen how healing music can be. And especially when you're talking about, 
you know, adolescents and teenagers. Um, every time I record a young person, they're like, I needed that. Like, I don't have to sit on the couch. I went in the booth, I got it out. This is how I've been feeling. It wasn't forced, it felt good. And I put it together myself. It wasn't Music provides an outlet for them and a different way of expressing things that they're feeling or things that they're experiencing. So he's noticed time and time again how teenagers have been able to process and express what they're going through without maybe something that they wouldn't be able to actually talk about, but through their music, they're able to get it out there and has seen time and time again how much that has really helped the kids that he's worked with. That's kind of satisfaction I get. And it's like, to see that from, from the youth is like, yeah, yeah, you're dealing with all of this. And instead of you like shooting up a school or doing this and that, you got it out. Yeah. And it's like, now it's out. Now let's deal with how we move on from here. Now, you cited a few uh, examples in your article, some very powerful stuff. Can you talk a little bit about some of the uh, examples of how that played out for some of local teens? I mean, it's not, I'm not any good, but it keeps me busy, oh. so that's good enough. <laughs> the teenager that I spent the most time with on this van was um, Muhammad Kani, and he is... Sudanese American. So he was born in the Sudan and his parents immigrated here. They came as refugees when he was a baby. And when he was growing up, he didn't really feel like he fit in anywhere. You know, his the culture at his home was um, was Sudanese. It wasn't African American. It wasn't Black American. And so he didn't feel like he fit in with Black kids that much. And he definitely didn't feel like he fit in with white kids because he was black. And so he wrote some music kind of expressing this tug and pull of his identity and trying to figure out where he fits in. And he actually recorded an entire album called Black Superman that was kind of focused on that theme of identity and fitting in and really not fitting in and finding some sort of a strength or a power in that. There were other kids that, you know, with the social and racial justice movements this summer wrote music about that. There was one clip that I heard that started off with a speech from Governor Cuomo, you know, talking about the protests and talking about George Floyd's murder and listing off all the different names of black men who have been killed by police officers. How many times have we seen the same situation? Yes, the names change, but the color doesn't. And then this kid goes into his songs. They want to see me to thrive. They want to see me to grow. They want to see me survive. People crying, people dying. All the guys should just please our fight. Another young girl, David told me, wrote about being sexually abused by her father. And that was something that David ended up having to report and support her through in legal movement. And then, you know, you have the simple stuff, right, of kids just writing about 
you know, rapping or singing about girls that they love or guys that they love and how they want to be close to each other and your typical teenage romance stuff. So it's definitely lighthearted too. Sometimes I get so So there's quite a bit that they that they write about and that they bring to the studio and that they just let out and these are things that they maybe would not know how to express in just typical conversation. Wait, I'm not finished. Break on the gas. Give me a second. I got more to add. Yeah, I was angry. I was upset. You got a problem. You shouldn't have left. Finally, I got these things off my chest. Give me a moment to relieve my stress. Back in the zone, bringing it home. Proud of my mommy. She did it alone. Sure. Now, you mentioned in the article that he, you know, he drives, and you mentioned earlier in this conversation that he kind of drives around Albany, um, you know, offering this two kids. I mean, from what you heard and from what he said, how how does that go? Is it hard to to get kids to come in and, and try this or is it easy? What is What has been his experience recruiting kids to come do this? I think it depends on the location and it depends on the weather too. Um, there have been times where he's taken the RV to different parks or skate parks or basketball courts and kids flock to it. Um, and then there have been other times, you know, where it's a cold day and he's he's parked in the parking lot at Hannaford on Central Ave and no one's coming. And usually places like that are a little bit more popular in the summertime when it's warmer and more people are out walking. So it really depends, but um, he usually will just pick a different spot. He'll go to Crossgates, he'll go to Colony Center, he'll go to the parks and the basketball courts, he'll find a spot on Central Avenue to park at and just parks the car, blasts the music, Muhammad goes and sits on the roof of the van of the RV and they just they wait for people to come in. There was one instance where a guy did come in. I mean, they've attracted multiple people for sure, but there was one instance where a younger man came in and he was definitely drawn by the music that he was hearing and it ended up being one of Muhammad's songs. And so they just got really excited listening to each other's music and then he plugged in his phone and he played some music that he's actually recorded himself. And so they um, were sharing that passion together. And there was another time that an older man on Central Avenue kind of near the corner of Central Avenue and Henry Johnson is where the RV was parked. And this older man was intrigued by it. And, you know, he started talking to David and David brought him in and gave him a little tour. And, you know, the, the older man was saying, this is so great and this is what you should be doing for the kids. And it's really important to keep them busy and keep them occupied. And, you know, David was saying the same thing that it's he's found such importance in this to give the kids something to do. And especially since this summer, we saw this huge spike in violence in certain neighborhoods, really concentrated in certain neighborhoods in Albany. David has found that just by having something like music to break the ice, to just ease the tension in a situation can help. He talked about how one time he was driving and he saw 
some kids getting in a fight on the sidewalk and he just pulled up and blasted the music and opened the doors and he was like and immediately broke the ice and everyone was distracted from what they were you know from whatever beef they were worked up about and they were suddenly concentrated and focused on what the hell this rv was and they went in and they started playing music and they came out and shook each other's hands you know and david said that could have been another murder that could have been prevented that i could have prevented right there but that day, yeah. yeah i mean it don't solve everything but trying trying one moment at a time so wow yeah and so i think it just really serves so many different purposes. Certainly. It sounds like a wonderful creative outlet for the community. Now, what's the what's the outlook? Is he just going to keep doing this or is there a timeline on it? What's the what's the future hold? I think he just plans to keep doing this. I mean, he put all of his work into it and all of his money into it. It would I, I would be surprised if he stopped doing it anytime soon. I think it's a little harder in the winter months. So he might kind of cut back on the schedule in the winter months. But um, you know, really the important thing is, is just trying to bring the music to, to the kids and raise awareness about the program that they have in the RV and the program that they have in the actual building. You can read more about David Gordon and the Mobile Lyricism Program in the Capital Region Gives special section at timesunion.com. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. And have a safe and happy holiday weekend.